HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is proudly brought to you by Culture City, a for-purpose organization that provides a place of acceptance and support for all autism families. For more information, visit culturecity.org. Hey, 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 I'm Jimmy Carboni from Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners. It is Monday, November 2nd, just in case you're listening in the future. And it's the weekend after Halloween and the New York City Marathon and Daylight Savings. And it's also the Day of the Dead. So I feel like we have a real kind of universal vortex happening today in the shipping container. I'm Jennifer Leutzi. This is Tech Bytes on the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m., we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And today, I am super excited about this show because we have actual food and technology peeps representing in the container together. So it's not something that we hear too often in the media when we talk about food and tech. We have the food industry where we talk about what restaurants like and we talk about what consumers want when they go to restaurants and then we have all the tech and business news where we talk about the innovators the innovations money profitability traction and all those things but it's a very rare moment when we have the restaurant industry and the tech industry coming together to talk about innovations and how to move things forward and today we have that we have nate adler who is one of the partners and GM and wine director at Huertas in New York City, which is a fantastic restaurant in the East Village. And if you say hi, people will be able to match your name to your voice. Hey, I'm Nate. What's going on? That's a good radio voice. Happy to be here. That's a good radio voice. Our, our sound, our control booth is nodding enthusiastically. <laughs> I also have a good face for radio, they tell me. so. <laughs> you look good on radio. Thanks. And we also have, representing the tech side, Alex Beltrani from a company called Tattle. Yes. Hello. Thank you. Happy to be here. And Rob Idell from a company called Survey. Hello. Happy to be here. Wonderful. So exciting. So we start off every episode of Tech Bytes 
with something I like to call appetizer, like a good meal, where we all go around the shipping container and we talk about apps we love, new discoveries, old favorites, and we talk to everyone, including the gentleman in the booth, Jack Inslee, our engineer and Heritage Radio's executive producer, and, 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 music producer, DJ, <laughs> host of Full Service Radio on Thursday nights at 7.30. You know, I start Monday off, every Monday I'm cranky, but then when you give me all these plugs, it just really cheers me up. I'm just Jenny. I'm just running down the list of all the job titles you yeah. have. <laughs> Jack, do you have an app for us? Yeah, and I just downloaded it for the first time, I mean, I guess ever on my phone. I mean, I remember this from my college days, uh, but... Pandora. They had apps when you were in college? No, no, no. But the company, the service was around. It was the Music Genome Project. But now, you know, Pandora just was in the news today because they will be, uh, they'll have cereal. Season two is going to be on Pandora, which is like a weird fit, I think, but an interesting one. Do you know about Pandora? I mean, it was it's like the music service where you tell them an artist you like and it kind of creates a radio station oh, b- yes. based on that preference. I- I've um, been using it for a really long time, and I have numerous channels, and actually people who share channels with me as well. So yeah. I'm well, a big fan of Pandora. A lot of other companies have kind of co-opted that idea, you know, including Apple with their Apple Music service. So interesting to see Pandora step into the podcast space. Um, I think it's a, a good choice for them. Um, so yeah, when Serial comes out, you'll be able to listen through Pandora. So I just downloaded the app again on my phone. I'm going to... See, see what they've been up to. Well, definitely check that out because discovering podcasts is not always so evident. I tend to just ask people what they're listening mm-hmm. to yeah. or search for things. It's kind of hard to have something that's maybe obscure or smaller bubble up in the iTunes store. Yeah, I'm curious to see how they handle podcasts and if it's like any other you know, music on their service and maybe they'll recommend similar podcasts. Maybe we can end up on Pandora. Well, I, that's exactly what I was saying. Note to, Note to the... Self, yeah. People, let's find out how we load Heritage Radio into Pandora. Yep. Okay. (laughs) And speaking of people who could help us research and get to the bottom of that, let's talk to our production intern, New Declan. Hey, how's it going? Good. Do you have an app for us? I do. Um, This is probably something that doesn't happen too often, but my grandfather told me about this app. Wow. Um, (laughs) Multi-generational apping. Yeah. Yeah. So generally when I'm driving around, I like to use Google Maps, um, but I just found this new app that he told me about called Waze, W-A-Z-E, and it's it does a really, really great job of navigating you around traffic and taking you ways that you might not think of that end up being faster. So yeah, that's my app. I'm impressed with the fact that your grandfather recommended it to you. Yeah, yeah. He's had a lot of trouble with his... Uh, Garmin GPS, it always takes him <laughs> like seemingly wow. the worst route he could possibly take. So Your grandfather has a Garmin GPS. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's he's, fantastic. He's in, into the car stuff. So That's cool. Very cool. Nate, do you have an app that you like these days? Yeah. Um, one of my friends is actually the f- one on the founding team of an app called Symbol, which is sort of like the nexus of Instagram, Spotify, and SoundCloud. So essentially what they do is you can symbol something which is connected to either Spotify or SoundCloud and it projects that song onto a news feed essentially 
and you can scroll down the way that you do in Instagram or Twitter and just listen to what other people have posted. Um, and if your friends listen to good music, then you have this amazing um, new repertoire that you can choose from in terms of hearing new tunes and um, accessing new artists. Can you spell symbol? Like a symbol, S or C Y M B A L. Okay, so symbol like the musical. Yeah, like the drum. Versus symbol, symbol like a sign. Yes. I ask how you spell it just because, and the, the next gentleman coming up will attest to this, in the app world, there's often a lot of creative spelling <laughs> based on what web addresses are available, what's already been taken, trademarked, and, and all of those kinds of things. So sometimes things have funny spelling, like one of my favorite apps, which is Photo, which is P-H-H-H-O-T-O. Rob, do you have a favorite app right now? Are we allowed to say our own apps? No, because you're going to talk about your app later. Had to try. Um, I'm going to go with City Bikes app. Ah. I use City Bike all the time, and so to be able to know how to get the how to get to the places I need to go, where the bikes are, the stations, it's invaluable to me personally. Do you find that it really is accurate in real time? No, I uh, you know being in the feedback space, I'm one that always gives feedback, and uh, I find myself writing to them frequently, trying to help them improve. Yeah, uh, it's yeah, it's not very accurate, but it gets the job done. It it it's best at telling you where the stations are, Correct. but in terms of availability, it it's a little it's a little shaky, especially if it's down to just like one or two bikes available. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and what about you, Alex? Yeah, uh, this may be a bit uh, obtuse. It's kind of a lot of innovative apps. Uh, it's called White Noise. Um, I have like a bunch of roommates in my apartment, and they stay up till very odd hours of the night and wake up even earlier so the uh, the white noise app provides a variety of about 30 different kinds of white noise and i leave it next to my head and it uh it drowns out a lot of the exercise that goes on at 6 a.m uh the tomfoolery in the living room um so yeah it's been it's been uh game changing for me from the sleep side so white noise does it have a timer where you can have it run for a little while and then it goes off? Does it run all night long and it, it drain runs, your battery? Or what's runs, the story? I, I'm charging my battery usually at night. It, it runs all night long. The only time it shuts off is if you, you leave the app. So it's running in the background all night. Let's say you check your alarm, switch to the clock. It would then shut off at that point. Okay. Um, but it's been game changing, yes. And it doesn't interfere with your alarm and your clock and any other things you have no, running No, it does in the not. I was very concerned about that at first, but no, we, uh, we slid past that. Okay. Awesome. All right. White noise for <laughs> urban living. I actually used it uh, a week ago. I was visiting my uh, cousin in college and uh, was not used to the 2 a.m. Monday <laughs> night partying, so uh, needed something to help me out. <laughs> it's fantastic. Okay. Is it free? Very free, yes. <laughs> very free. All right. Well, that's a good one. That's really a good one. My app is going to be an old favorite, and that is Fandango. And I like it. I like to buy my tickets early. I like to know I have tickets. Now you don't even have to print out your tickets because you can just hold up the QR, the QR code when you go in so you can get there even closer to your start time. And um, a, perhaps a little-known fact, I'm a big fan of 
big blockbuster sci-fi action type movies, you know, like the upcoming 007, the upcoming Hunger Games, the upcoming Star Wars, and I will only go to movies in the IMAX and the big screen, otherwise I feel like it's not worth my, you know, 20 bucks. If it's on a small screen, you know, I can watch a small screen at home. And you can buy tickets now to all of those things. And I love the theaters where you can select your seats even. Um, there's a couple of IMAX theaters where you can buy your tickets in advance and select seats. So Fandango, to get all of your entertainment cinema needs taken care of early. So you don't have to worry about that. Because I hate waiting in line. I hate waiting in line. <laughs> I'm too old to wait in line. <laughs> so... At the top of the show, I talked about how excited I was about this episode, bringing both sides of the food tech conversation together. And I think the best way to do this is Alex and Rob both are founders and creators and CEOs of companies that have customer feedback systems built for restaurants. And... I feel like this is so relevant right now, given the South Park episode a couple <laughs> weeks ago of You're Not Yelping, where everything... <laughs> I, I was carbon for Halloween. So. You were carbon for Halloween because of that episode? I was, I was. Did you have the t-shirt and everything? Yeah, it was pretty easy. I just had to gain a little weight and uh, put on a white t-shirt that said, Warning, Yelp Critic. <laughs> so, so it's such a great episode. and also kind of raises the point of, you know, how restaurants would love to have feedback, but perhaps not quite in that forum. And also feedback not used uh, as a weapon against them by the public for, you know, free things, spiffs, better tables, and all of that. So out of that need has come an interesting category of apps and tech to get restaurants feedback that I think, honestly, they do want and would be helpful because um, restaurants generally care about their customers and care about the service and the hospitality that they're giving. So we've brought Nate here to represent himself in the restaurant side of it. And we have these two gentlemen who will then kind of pitch them and tell him about their services and see what his response would be. Currently, well, what I will do is I'll just stop with the introductions there. I will let Nate... Um, talk a little bit about his restaurant and how they feel about customer service, and then we'll give Alex and Rob each an opportunity to talk to him about their service. Sure. So, Nate, when did Hortez open? So, we opened 18 months ago. Um, it was April 2014 that we opened. Um, it is a Basque-inspired restaurant in the East Village. Uh, the Basque Country is a region of northern Spain um, that is, I think, most importantly, it is a place that sort of um, has an effusive culture about it. And uh, for us, we wanted to recreate something that was authentic to that region, both with the cuisine and the beverage side and also that element of just uh, fun um, and entertainment. Um, and as we've progressed through our short history, we've also realized that what's most important to us as uh, Jonah and I, uh, the executive chef and owner, are both New Yorkers. And so 
we want we've sort of brought New York back into the conversation and trying to elicit the identity of New York in Spanish food. Um, and yeah, from a customer service standpoint, um, we come from the Danny Meyer School of Thought. Uh, both Jonah and I worked for him for three years. And for us, you know, it is all about taking care of our employees um, in the hopes that they will be very um, happy and uh, ready and more than willing and excited to take care of our guests. Um, and, yeah, we, we really do everything in our power to say yes uh, across the board. So, you, I would be curious to know what the growing pains have been in the 18 months, given that you early on had some really great critical reviews from the New York Times and the food media and social media, where did that create an onslaught of you know diners or people or expectation that maybe you weren't expecting so early on? Because that's wonderful, but on the flip side of wonderful, what the public probably doesn't realize is that creating a big burst of super high expectations and lots of demand on a small space can sometimes be um, challenging in a very positive way. Yeah, so it's interesting you talk about expectations because um, I think the restaurant industry is all about expectations. Um, really, anything in life is about expectations. When we first wrote our handbook, our employee handbook, the name of it was Exceeding Expectations because um, there's something that I learned about in school uh, called the disconfirmation theory, which is essentially that the experience you have is inextricably linked to your expectations and um, what you actually experience. So if the expectations are really high and those are met, that's awesome. But if the expectations are set at somewhere in the middle and those are exceeded at the level of the heightened expectations, let's say, then people are actually going to experience something a lot um, more positive than they would have otherwise. So, yeah, the expectations after, specifically after our review process, um, were definitely higher, but I do feel we were apt to handle that um, level of... of um, expectation uh, for our guests that were walking in the door. Um, we were sort of prepared for that on day one, and I think what got us going at the beginning and even on the radar was that we had set the bar at a certain level, um, and we always tried to continue to get better from there. Um, I think operationally, it was a difficult task just dealing with the quantity of guests that were walking in from a summer where we were, you know, to be frank, losing money. And then all of a sudden we get reviewed and it's the fall and everything changes. Um, and we've made some pretty major changes uh, to the concept in order to look towards longevity uh, instead of looking towards success in those sort of um, fad pockets, if you will, which I think really dictates New York City restaurants. Very much so. Very much so. There's a... Uh the public is very influenced by what they see in social media and what they read in the media. So when there's a burst of attention and people see the name of a restaurant over and over again, 
they want to go and then they go and they check that box and they move on to the next restaurant that they see the name of over and over again you know online and social media and in the press so to just sort of throw the information out there how do you take in feedback from your customers right now um all guest feedback is done through um done on the floor of the restaurant uh, we have we do staff um, and put a pretty big premium on management at the restaurant despite the fact that it's 70 seats we have myself and then two other managers so there's almost always two of us on the floor along with staff servers and bartenders um, and really it's just touching tables and getting feedback in the moment uh, to make sure that people's experiences are uh, are extraordinary on a daily basis. Um, Do you hear from people via social media or email or Twitter? Yeah, we, I think, you know, we do, but it's not an often occurrence, to be, to be honest. Um, Is it mostly positive or mostly negative? I think when we get feedback, it's usually negative. Right. Um, but there are some great examples of, you know, getting a postcard in the mail from somebody, because you know, we give postcards out at the end of the night, that's like, that's just thanking us for, for that experience, and, you know, we would call that a rave, and then we would talk about it at lineup, and um, I think the negative energy and feedback is sort of dealt with internally, and then we, we try to get past that with service points. Positive feedback is something that we really... Um, that we really uh, celebrate. And are you on OpenTable or any of the other yeah, online services? We are on OpenTable, um, and it's something that actually we're considering doing away with um, Interesting. in the near future. Because? Um, just because of the expense uh, associated with it. Um, I think it's a great service in a lot of ways, but things are changing, and for a small restaurant... Uh, to pay a certain amount per cover um, is a difficult thing to swallow. Um, Do you pay attention to what the reviews are on OpenTable or Yelp or you know any so, of those other sort of review feedback hubs? I'd say we probably should pay a little bit more attention to that. Um, you know, I monitor it sort of peripherally. Uh, Yelp, I really never look at. Um, sometimes <laughs> I'll have somebody on my team take a look and, like, if there's anything that is a red flag, like, to come talk to me about it. Um, yeah, I think in the process of changing the concept a little bit, where we went from a tasting menu and a small a la carte menu to now one a la carte menu across the board, um, feedback was incredibly important for that change. Uh, whether it was sort of the rumblings on Yelp and OpenTable of it's too expensive for what you're getting um, or there's, there aren't enough options. Um, a lot of price consciousness is, uh, is conveyed over the, over the web, for sure, um, as well as the review process was something that we really uh, took seriously and we have a pretty good industry following and talking to those people about what their experiences were uh, really lent itself to this decision um, where, you know, our employees are also clamoring for change and, you know, everybody wants the front room and it's hard to communicate to restaurants and we knew that from the beginning. Um, 
and I think sort of the word that we that we came to was just more approachable, more fun, um, and that's why we made the changes that we did. So that is a great snapshot, I think, of Huertas and where they are in terms of their life and evolution as a restaurant, the service they want to give, and how they are interacting with their public and their staff. So this is a perfect break point for us. And what we will do is we are going to take a break and hear from our sponsor, Culture City, which is an amazing not-for-profit group for families who have children with autism. They do a lot of great things, including their iPads for Learning project, where you can donate an old iPad or sponsor an iPad, because they're really helpful for communication and learning. We're going to listen to some music from our old intern, Kido. And then when we come back, we will have Alex and Rob tell us about their products. Today's program is proudly brought to you by Culture City, a for-purpose organization that provides a place of acceptance and support for all autism families. This is Culture City's founder, Julian Maha. Culture City was really born out of uh, necessity. You know, it was born when my, uh, you know, currently six-year-old boy was diagnosed with autism. Uh, his name is Abram and he's non-verbal. And even though my wife and I were both physicians at the time, it was really hard for us to find any resources at that point to help him all the other organizations out there that we know of, um, they do phenomenal work, but their main focus is basically finding a cure for autism. Our main focus is basically trying to prepare the community to accept not only children with autism, but their families as well. You know, in addition to that, we also want to provide help to these families in the here and now. You know, so tangible things like, you know, iPads for non-verbal kids, you know, financial scholarships, uh, therapy scholarships, you know, art camps and also some um, lecture series that can teach parents about, you know, dietary issues, um, you know, how to financially plan and things like that. For more information, visit culturecity.org. Well, if you've just tuned in and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bytes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org, the weekly program where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And today we have food and technology represented in the shipping container. We have Nate Adler from Huerta's Restaurant in New York City in the East Village. It's a great little Basque spot. And he is going to listen to a couple gentlemen talk about the different customer service not, I keep saying customer service it is customer service but it's customer feedback customer feedback services because if you're not yelping but you want to hear from your customers what do you do so first up we have Alex Beltrani and his company is called Tattle if you want to follow them on Twitter it's at GetTattle and the website is GetTattle.com so Alex I'll give you a few minutes to talk with Nate explain what you do and how perhaps you might be helpful yeah absolutely Nate good to hear your story man thanks awesome um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take you back to 1986 
real quick, um, which is really where I drew a lot of my inspiration for Tattle and um, where our, our mission is sort of derived. So back in 1986, my, my mom and dad took out their last 30K, uh, put it on a restaurant with friends and families, and opened up the Village Way in, in Port Jefferson, Long Island. So I don't know if you've ever been to Port Jefferson. Beautiful during the summers, booming. About 80% of the business is done during that time. During the winters, not a fun time to be in Port Jefferson, as about only 20% of the business is done. Um, so the real challenge that my parents had in opening up the restaurant was that they had to buddy up to the locals. They had to show that they were in this for them and they were delivering a product that they would ultimately like and tell the other families and friends in the area. So when they launched in 1986, they rolled out the ancient artifact today, the, the customer comment card. Um, they made it a point to drop thousands each month so that you said you're from the, the Danny Meyer School of Thought and a lot of things, so that they could collect the dots, so to speak. Um, so they did that. They collected a ton of great testimonials. When they got a really good one, they'd bring someone inside the village way, have them hold up that the wings were delicious and you know the brunch was to die for, um, take a picture of it, put it on the, the, uh, the Herald Times in Port Jefferson, and blow it up for you know all the locals to see. Um, some people are like, your dad created social media. Like, that's ridiculous. But uh, he's very adamant that he created the boneless buffalo wing, so please listen. Um, but yeah, beyond that, um, you know, he, he wanted to build a community, and he wanted to do it through something that was initiated you know, by him um, that allowed the customers to have some sort of outlet or private conduit directly to the staff where they can go about building better relationships. Um, you know, they eventually sold the Village Way in 2001, and... Um, you know, even still today, we're rolling out you know customer comment cards with the exception of new feedback platforms and, and Tattle and Survey. Um, you know, but ultimately the the market is skewed so much towards a consumer centric and initiated approach where um, you know consumers, 170 million of them, let's say on Yelp, are now you know dictating your brand in the eyes of new customers um, and are are sort of skewing the value that you provide based upon. Um, what is currently 1% of the users that actually write reviews. So you said you don't really check Yelp. It's probably because you're getting the most eccentric versions of feedback delivered to you, and it's, it's tough to internalize that feedback and actually consider making changes internally. Um, so you know, in the same breath of building a community, um, you know, so much of what you know, Danny Meyer rolled out in, in the 1980s after you know, originally writing off Denny's at the time for doing comment cards, but then rolling out his own. Um, you know, we, are, we are building the digital comment card today, and we're doing so in a way that's you know, integrated with your process. So it sounds like you know, right now you're doing a lot of you know, on-site, um, you know, sort of gathering the sentiment of your audience, audience base, but um, what happens every day is that there is erosion going on in the restaurant, you know, whether you see it or not. It's just, it's just naturally happening. Um, you know, even, God, I mean, everywhere this goes on. Um, and there's really nothing we can do about it unless we, we tap into customers and uh, make sure that, you know, they feel like they're being heard. Um, making sure that you can respond back to them in a way that, you know, induces some sort of empathy. Um, where you can actually get great reviews uh, from your customers directly and privately, and then at your discretion choose to share them to the public outlet. 
So the whole idea now, because the space is skewed so much towards being a consumer-centric and initiated process, is that through Tattle, you initiate the conversation. Uh, you ask questions about things that you actually care about, and you can go ahead and build relationships with customers that you maybe otherwise would have no touch point with had they not come and tattled or given you feedback directly. Um, so that's really been our mission, is that you know, if, if Yelp builds your brand, let's say, you know, you have the ability to then go about building your community. And right now we think that Tattle is the best way to go about this because, um, you know, as the elimination of the tip rolls around, there's, you know, two psychological costs on customers. That is the fact that prices will be inherently higher and that uh, customers will no longer have an outlet to actually tip. So what do these people say or what sentiment can they actually share or express with the experience that they had in your restaurant. Um, so that's where Tattle comes in. Um, you know, we're a white label solution. Um, we provide the materials designed against what you do internally. Um, and in turn, people feel like they're going direct to you. You know, we're just the engine that, that powers that communication. And from there, you take it upon yourself to, you know, build that relationship that you actually want to have with your customers. Um, so that's, that's been our mission today. Um, and, and that's how we're, we're helping to solve, you know, this pain point for other restaurant owners. It's long-winded, so. <laughs> Any questions for him? Just a short one. Mm-hmm. How did you come up with the name Tattle? God. So, you know, if you look at, if you look at Yelp, right, Yelp is public eccentric and obnoxious you know we have to be the inverse of that we have to be a network that merchants opt into um we have to be a network that is discreet we have to be a network that is private so if you're yelping on someone you're generally doing it to a large audience and very overtly if you're tattling you're typically going direct to the source so we still want to remain catchy to the customers but we ultimately just want the feedback to be funneled right to you i have a question please how does it work Yes. So what you do, uh, you would, you know, download the Tattle app if being prompted by um, maybe a plastic table stand if you're a QSR joint, um, you know, maybe a, you know, postcard inside the checkout booklet uh, at the end of the meal. Um, you would get a call to action to either download the Tattle app or go direct to a white label page uh, URL that we've created for you. Uh, from there, you'd answer the questions that you actually want to be asking. Uh, and then from there, the consumer gives feedback in exchange for an item on their next visit. Um, so the item is the retention play. And sustainability is built through retention. So, you know, there's so many customer acquisition ploys. A lot of it happened with Groupon. It's a map that the market has soured on tremendously. So we want to make sure that your next customer, who's already sitting inside of your location that you worked so hard to acquire, is coming back in the next time. So that's how we figure that process. Uh, you would then see that that uh, feedback in real time and have the ability to say thank you, sorry, share it directly on Facebook, ask them to share it on Yelp. So it, it's your private hub for feedback and your community, essentially. And do other consumers have the ability to see this feedback? Absolutely not. Oh, okay, cool. um, so yeah, when we, like you asked, why are we tattle? We're tattle because we're private. So all this is for, you know, merchant size only. Um, we don't want people to see anything that anyone else writes, you know, unless you actually choose to do so. So the onus is entirely on you. Um, you're empowered to build your own brand through the feedback that you collect. Good. Any, any more questions at this juncture? At the juncture. It's long-winded. Yeah. So we're good? <laughs> yeah, we're good. <laughs> so next up we have Rob Edel from Servi. 
If you want to check them out on Twitter, they are at Servy, S-E-R-V-Y-A-P-P. And the website is S-E-R-V-Y-A-P-P dot com. And so think of service, service, survey, right? Versus survey, S-U. It's a, it's a play in a couple words. Okay. Serve you, survey, Got service. It. Yeah, that's why I always ask people to spell things, because in this digital age, spelling is very important. Also, I'm not a great speller. <laughs> if Spellcheck were an app, it would probably be my app every week. So, <laughs> Rob, I, I turn the mic over to you, and uh, can tell Nate about what Survey App does. Thank you. So, like Alex, I uh, grew up kind of in uh, the restaurant world. My grandparents owned a restaurant in the city for a number of years, and then uh, after high school, I went to Cornell's Hotel School, where I studied hospitality. Um, a little over a year ago, I was out to dinner one night, had a horrible experience at a restaurant, and actually for the first time clicked uh, the Yelp button on my phone. And um, luckily I stopped myself though, realizing I didn't want to bash this small business online. But this experience was somewhat of a light bulb moment for me in that I realized that there's all these digital tools to write public content, Yelp, TripAdvisor, Facebook, etc. However, there was no platform to give private, constructive feedback to business owners and restaurants in particular. And so uh, I decided I wanted to build that platform. And so in diving kind of headfirst into the space, uh, doing my research, talking to restaurateurs, one thing that kept coming up was mystery shopping. So there's currently a billion dollar industry in which restaurants pay anywhere from 40 to several hundred dollars to have a secret shopper come in and privately evaluate their experience. While the evaluations are very thorough, usually 50 questions, the problem is it's so expensive that restaurants can only afford one or two data points per month. And if you think about it, you've served thousands of customers in that period of time. What does one data point really tell you? And so that's when we realized there was an opportunity, an opportunity to create a essentially a next-gen mystery shopping platform. And so what we've built is a community of frequent diners and hospitality professionals like yourself, and we empower them to act as mystery diners in some way to complete these evaluations, but much, much more streamlined, usually about 15 questions, assessing what's most important to your business. And they complete this in exchange for a partial reimbursement of their meal. So unlike traditional mystery shopping, which is a full meal reimbursement, we do a partial, and that's important because one, it drives the guests to come to your restaurant and give their feedback, but it's low enough, the price, the cost is low enough that it allows you to still profit on every cover and afford more evaluations so you can actually identify trends across your business. And so we're working with hundreds of restaurants in the city. Uh, we've been live for, I think, nine months now. And so we're working with fast casual operators as well as full service like yourself and uh, ultimately helping businesses improve. The question I have actually for both of you just because I went to undergraduate business school and it's something that intrigues me is how do you monetize these two platforms? Yeah, I could take this. Um, so we monetize based on a SaaS model, so it's a monthly subscription. Um, so even before creating this product, I, I think I I think I personally interviewed about 500 different restaurants and gathered a range for what they were spending you know, annually on customer comment cards. And the range is anywhere from you know, something like uh, $1,000 or something as absurd as like $5,000, um, which is wild, you know, because it takes so much time once you collect the information. It's just, you know, time on top of money that you're spending. Um, so we come in right now at about $75 monthly. Um, so 
cost efficient, saves you probably 10 to 15 hours monthly. Um, even with some of our conversations with some of the biggest hospitality groups in the city, you know, the process is that they collect the comment card, give it to the manager, the manager gives it to the GM, the GM gives it to a third party. The third party compiles the information digitally, sends it back to the marketing team to then respond back to the customer. Um, so, you know, in that sense, um, way cheaper, way more time efficient and optimized um, and way more relevant because the, the pen to paper reflex is dying um, and you probably walk around your restaurant and people are glued to their, their smartphones. So we think it's a good place to find them. Uh, we, we have a different model. It's transactional. So you only pay for what you get. So if we send one, uh, one diner to your restaurant to evaluate it, you would pay for that experience and we price it depending on your check size. So the key is we want to make sure that you profit on every evaluation. Cool. Those are the only questions? Well, well let me ask a question. Yeah, then. you based, asked me based, a question, and I'll, based on I'm happy to The way it. your feedback model works now, and based on the goals you have moving forward to you know, expand the business and create this very specific environment for your customers, do either of these very different feedback models have relevance you think for your the way your business is set up are there pieces of them parts of it the whole thing yeah absolutely um i think the general idea that a restaurant tour would be able to solicit specific feedback on different issues is really important um i'd say i take a considerable amount of my time and brain power trying to uh use data to figure out what consumers were thinking um, and with buying patterns and which dishes really sung and which ones fell flat and um, you know is this server as bad as we think they are or are they as good as we think they are um, and so to be able to ask specific questions is something that really appeals to me uh, you can't do that on the floor of the restaurant so much even if it's the owner coming over and saying hey like how did you like that dish you know that's something that we could probably ask but to give feedback about um price consciousness or value which is like the number one biggest um thing uh, of importance in our restaurant is value we talk about it every day when we're setting prices especially with the no tipping model potentially going into place for us as well. Um, how does that all, how is that all going to work? Um, and how do we um, incentivize our employees to do better um, and give them feedback that they need? I think if there's one area of opportunity in any restaurant um, and it's incredibly time consuming is giving your staff feedback. Um, I think the most, um, the most difficult situations that we've come across uh, have come because we haven't given feedback early enough. Um, we haven't been transparent enough with our employees about where they're going, what sort of opportunities lie ahead, and that would be garnered um, or gleamed from the information that both of these platforms are it's a, it's a hard conversation to have with any employee if you're a business owner, if their performance is not up to par, whether that's true or whether it's just a perception from the customer. So maybe having feedback coming from 
you know, an external but totally. real source kind of buffers the management, you know, f- from a, in, in a sense, from being, you know, sort of just transmitting a message versus saying, we think you're bad at your job. Yeah, and also, if we decide to expand at some point and I have, you know, taken more time to work on other projects outside of Huertas at the current moment, you know, how do you maintain that consistency if I'm not on the floor every day? Um, and maybe the managers that I have are doing a great job of, of getting feedback, but they're not me. And, you know, my friends and family are the ones that, uh, or the people that I know that come to the restaurant are really where I get most of my feedback from. And who knows if that is even totally, you know, it might not, it might be biased in some regard. Um, I I would ask both of you how the restaurants get the information and the feedback from you. Is it something that is easy for Nate to pass along to his staff or his managers? How frequently does it come in and what's the form of the information? Yeah. um, So the, you know, while merchants kind of get the short end of the stick on Yelp, uh, consumers do also. So, you know, like I said, only 1% even write reviews on Yelp, which kind of gives you an idea of who really wants to be constructive. Um, so we find typically that, you know, we outdo Yelp by, you know, 30 to 40 times in, in terms of feedback volume monthly. And all this is in real time. So, you know, the other night at one of our locations, we had someone who, you know, ordered a drink and hadn't seen a server in about 20 minutes. Um, so they tattled and the feedback went direct to the owner who was in the back office. The owner came out and talked to the hostess about what's going on. And then they ultimately served the customer faster. Um, so the idea is that, you know, this is happening inside your restaurant every day. Um, you can do something about it if you have that protective net, you know, to, to sort of get the feedback and channel it directly to you and then go about acting on it so that you can diffuse a potentially harmful situation um, and turn it into something more favorable, you know, like a lifelong customer. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how we go about thinking about that process. How do you guys distribute the information? Yeah, we have uh, two ways. Um, one, we email, um, so real-time emails, and then the second is we have a cloud-based dashboard you can log into, and that'll kind of show you more of the high-level trends and insights and change over time, for example, so you could identify how you know a particular shift is, you know, how they've performed uh, historically and how they're doing more recently, and you could identify you know some areas for improvement pretty quickly. So my... Uh, question to you guys and thought is just in terms of barrier to entry um, and this industry I'm sure Jennifer hears about it all the time and knows about it is very antiquated um, even to this day despite the fact that social media is so important um, that's really the only sort of path that restaurants have taken to become more technologically driven Um, in a lot of ways and I think that it all comes back to sort of this hubris uh, I'd say and I think that that's the biggest barrier to entry for you guys I want to hear your thoughts on that where you know restaurant tourists like I don't need feedback from these outside sources you know I'm I can get feedback my own way or even if I don't get it I feel comfortable with the way that I'm operating my restaurant that why do I need to pay for something like this um and so I'd say that hubris and cost are probably the biggest barriers to entry. Um, you know, on a daily basis, we are making sure that costs are controlled because if they aren't, 
uh, we don't make any money. And so it's a really difficult uh, thing to to process is, is any added cost. You know, do you pay managers more? Do you uh, spend a little bit more on food? Do you spend more on um, the aesthetics so that it's a more inviting space or do you spend it on feedback? Um, but there are, there are a multitude of choices that you need to take into consideration. Yeah, so, um, you know, I think you touched on, you know, the fact that some operators maybe think they know everything that's going on in the restaurant and they think they know best, and um, they might, and those businesses may succeed, but we, we look to partner with ones that value customer feedback and that want to be data-driven, because ultimately we're providing data to help them make decisions mm-hmm. and quantify performance, because... Um, you can look at a server and think they're doing a good job. You can see that they're selling, you know, they're upselling the lobster, but that's not the whole story. And so we help, you know, provide the insight and the data to help you really know what's, you know, how they're performing. And then uh, regarding cost, I mean, you know, we that's why we price ours the way we do. We want to make sure that you continue to profit. Um, so we align with the restaurants in that way. Yeah, um, yeah you, you spoke a lot about uh, fluctuating costs. Um, that's why we're not so much, um, you know, transactional based, depending on volume. Um, you'd sign up and understand pretty consistently the, the dollar value that you'd be giving away each month. Um, but more so than that, it's, it's um, you know, what does it cost to you to lose a customer? You know, what is, what is that cost? What's the cost of someone leaving dissatisfied, not hearing them out, and them telling 10 other people? Um, having them tell 10 more people? You know, what, what is that cost to the business? It's, you, you can't see it. You know, but if, if erosion truly is happening, then um, something somewhere along the way falls through the cracks. So, um, you know, just the other day we had someone um, call in to get, you know, a burger at one of our locations. Uh, came in, picked up his bag, went back to work, um, opened the bag, no hamburger inside. You know, he, um, he had a little tattle, you know, card inside the bag for delivery, and he tattled at the location. Like, hey, really wish I could tell you how much, uh, you know, that, that burger, uh, how much I like the burger, but... Unfortunately, I don't have it. So, what do we do from here? You know. So, you know, with that, it's it's the ability that, like, wow, someone's reaching out to you. Um, what can I do to, you know, prevent this person from, you know, not ever coming back or telling more people? You know, what does that cost in my business ultimately? So, if if you have a general idea of your own customer retention, you know, as far as the rate goes, um, you know, we actually track that. You know, showing people who actually come back in again. Um, so, you know, over time that's significant and the fact that you're at least showing that um, you care to hear about the small nuances that go on within a customer's dining experience, um, that's impactful for your business. Um, so that's kind of where we stand on that. Well, we're actually running over time, which makes me sad because I would love to let these guys keep talking and, and let Nate keep asking questions from Alex and Rob, because I think it's a great conversation. I mean, questions that I want to continue asking and hear the answers to are, you know, what what are potentially the additional, you know, services in terms of email and customer outreach and things that these different services can offer a restaurant so that maybe some of the cost savings is maybe it'll do part of the job of part of a person you know eventually maybe that makes it worthwhile or you know is it um going to just be something that you could maybe replace part of your you know reservation system or part of your this system you know i don't know the answers to those things but i i do know that 
as technology increases in our life and all the different apps start to populate our smartphones, restaurants have to deal with it at some point and they can decide not to deal with it and not be on all those platforms and apps and things like that or they can decide to deal with it and in that instance sometimes it means hiring an extra person or figuring out which service is the most cost effective and can do the most work for them. But it's an interesting time and I think it's conversations that we need to keep having. At the end of the show, I always do like to ask everyone for a piece of advice for the listeners. So I'm going to ask Nate, um, who's our restaurant owner today. Nate, what is the best piece of advice you have for the public to get good service when they're in a restaurant? And we know it's not saying you're a critic and threatening them with a bad review. Just be transparent. Um, be honest about what it is that, that you want. Um, you know, we train our staff to read tables. I mean, that's like a huge part of what we do. Um, but it definitely helps to hear some aspect of why you're there that night or um, what it is that you're looking for if you want something that's more of a um, sort of basic meal at Huertas or you want something that's super adventurous that's really great to hear um, and we pick up on those things just based on what people order but um, I think it's most important to uh, be transparent but also let the servers do their jobs you know um, let them guide you on a on sort of a, a journey because that's what makes the experience fun um, you know if you wanted to just have sustenance you'd probably cook at home or maybe just order in some takeout but I think that the experience of going out to eat is something that it's an event it's um, you make a decision to go somewhere and on a certain night and at a certain time um, and it should be treated more like an experience than it should be uh, a way to get fed that's great advice and for you Alex and Rob I'll ask you real quickly um, we have a lot of entrepreneurs on the show. What is your, what's, a, what's the single most important thing if you want to be a successful entrepreneur to focus on? Um, probably just, you know, be willing to eat your arm off, you know, essentially to succeed in this because it's, you know, probably just as volatile as a restaurant. And if you have like, you know, a, a doubt in your mind about it it's, it will implode so just keep going no retreat no surrender okay I'm gonna go with uh, you know you gotta just do uh, and you gotta test um, you gotta you know come up with uh, a, an idea a hypothesis and find a way to test it to validate it um, and so in a restaurant that might be you know, putting, putting a special out there to test a new menu item. Um, and in the startup world, it's, you know, come up with what's called a minimum viable product and just test, test, test and get feedback. And then that'll help drive your decisions. Somebody should invent a feedback app for entrepreneurs. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, I will thank Nate, Alex and Rob for coming out to have this really wonderful conversation. I, I appreciate all sides of the coin coming together. It's a lot of fun. I want to thank Culture City our amazing not-for-profit for families who have kids with autism who's a sponsor and a friend of 
Heritage Radio. And stay tuned, because if you like this show, we have a little clip from A Taste of the Past coming up, which is going to talk about donuts. And who doesn't love donuts? I'm Jennifer Leutzi, and this is Tech Bites. It wasn't really until the 1960s, particularly the 1970s, that they took off. And I have a theory about this, which has to do with the fact that donuts do well in times of economic crisis. Mm. So that if you look at the Depression, donuts were big. If you look at the 1970s, donuts were big. And if you look at the first decade, or the last maybe 10 years, when we've been in this economic crisis, right? Once again, donuts become huge. In episode 178 of A Taste of the Past, Michael Crondall talks about how and why the donut has remained a top-selling dessert, even in tough economic times. So they take off in the 1970s, and Dunkin' Donuts becomes by far, by far, by far the biggest chain. Yeah. Well, and then, and as I mentioned earlier, suddenly, I don't know, you know, everything becomes the new darling. You know, the, the cupcake became the new craze, much attributed possibly to, you know, the television show Sex and the City. Oh, absolutely. Trends. I think that's right. And then donuts suddenly, you know, they, they never went away. They've always been around. But all of a sudden they became this new craze with odd flavors, exotic flavors, any flavor you can imagine. And donut shops, fancy donut shops, if you will, popping up all over the place, small ones. You know, artisanal donuts. Once yeah, I, I it's think, it's a what 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 do you attribute to that? Well, I, I do think that part of it has to do with the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. I do think that has something to do with it. Mm-hmm. Donuts, like a cupcake, is an affordable treat. But I think there's something else about donuts. Donuts have a kind of a street cred that cupcakes will never have. If you want to learn more about the history of food, check out A Taste of the Past every Thursday at noon, and available all times at heritageradionetwork.org and on iTunes. Heritage Radio Network is a member-supported nonprofit organization broadcasting over 30 live shows a week. To learn more and donate, visit our website or connect with us on iTunes, Stitcher, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram for more. Thanks for listening.